The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for... What day is it today? November 10th, 2021. It's your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you back in Austin, Texas. A little stuffed up. Might have gotten a little, uh, a little, a little, 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 little bug. Tell you what, it was, uh, uh... <laughs> Yeah, this is the first time I've gotten sick in like three years because I don't get sick often. I certainly did not get sick during COVID because I was by and large, you know, when I wasn't traveling, I was pretty much just kind of by myself or with, you know, two or three people that I saw that were kind of in our in our pod. So didn't catch COVID. And then I was out and I came back and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting sick. Oh, good Lord. And then, of course, immediately I thought I had COVID. So got tested. Don't have COVID. But just a regular old sore throat and a runny nose, you know. Turns out you can still get garden variety sick. But the news does not stop. We've got a possibly consequential uh, uh, move here when it comes to the 2022 senatorial control. Somebody that was thought to be maybe the most slam dunk Republican candidate, Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, ain't running. We get into that announcement, what it means, who might replace him, and more. You know, I'm going to go on a rant here in, in, in our second segment. Can we knock it off? We're thinking that every stupid meme that these dipwad politicians put out is like a declaration of war. Because Paul Gozer put out some anime meme that I'm sure just got all the 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 eight coon subscribers, all their their bingers erect. Puts it up on Twitter. And now all of a sudden we get into, uh, I'll save it. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it in a minute. Also, Bill Sher, Washington Monthly. We have ridden with him throughout the entirety of the infrastructure process. And it was only right that we bring him here as it has now wrapped up late in the evening, Friday night. The bipartisan infrastructure bill past delinking it from the build back better bill was it worth it who comes out the winner are there any lessons to be learned oh billy share explains it all to us but first 
devastators. I do believe that is our civic responsibility to the entire country. We have to continue to be that example of how to work through our differences without destroying that sense of community. But my responsibility is not to the gridlock and politics of Washington, uh, it's to the citizens of New Hampshire. And I'd rather push myself 120 miles an hour delivering wins for New Hampshire uh, than to slow down, end up on Capitol Hill debating partisan politics without results. That's why I'm going to run for a fourth term and I'd be honored if the people of New Hampshire would elect me again as their governor. We have a lot more to do to protect the interests of New Hampshire citizens. And it's, that it's is that Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, saying that he will not run against Senator Maggie Hassan. He will instead seek another two-year term as governor in the live free or die state. Now, two weeks ago, this would have been very bleak news for the GOP's hopes to take the Senate. Not only do the Republicans need to defend all of their seats, but they've got to win at least one net at the end of uh, the midterms in less than a year. And New Hampshire and Sununu were the closest things to a lock that the GOP had. An October poll had Sununu over Hassan by three points. Now, that's also with Sununu being, a, you know, a, a Republican governor in a state that has trended blue. Somebody that has had to deal with being a leader through COVID, which has not been a particularly, you know, a popular thing to be. And while surely there are some wailing and gnashing of teeth behind the scenes in Republican circles. I don't know if it's as bad as if it would have happened two weeks ago. Because Virginia happened last Tuesday and New Jersey happened only an hour after that. Hassan won in 2016 by, you know, four figures. This was not a lot of people that, that, that she won by. And it appears that the battlefield might be tilted even more toward Republicans in 2022 then, or sorry, now than it was then. Still, Sununu in this environment might have been a set it and forget it for the GOP. It would have allowed them to pump money into other races that may or may not be closer in the new world we find ourselves in, including Herschel Walker in Georgia and attempting to pry Mark Kelly's seat away from him in Arizona. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time with our boy Evans Grimshaw breaking down not only what happened in Virginia, but also looking ahead to the midterms as we are uh, you know, breaking down specifically in the Senate where we are in a post-Sununu begging out of this world. But if we are in a situation a year from now where Joe Biden is still a less than popular president and the Republicans are able to continue hammering education, which was a, a very effective cudgel for them in these off-off year elections, then the idea that an out-of-nowhere Republican could challenge Maggie Hassan is more plausible than it was before when everybody was still going on 2020 math. So, this is according to Politico. With Sununu out of the race, we have speculation that the 
former Senator Kelly Iote could challenge Hassan again. Iote was the one who lost very barely to Hassan six years ago. But according to sources, she's not going to do it. So that is a larger problem because now you don't have a former senator and now you don't have a popular sitting governor. So the question then becomes, okay, well, who else we got? Former Senator Scott Brown. He drives a truck. Remember him? He used to be the senator in Massachusetts. Uh, His seat then went to Elizabeth Warren. He moved to New Hampshire for an unsuccessful challenge to Democratic Senator Jeanne Sheehan in 2014, but he will not run for Senate this year, instead focusing on his wife's congressional campaign. So that leaves Gail Huff Brown, a former TV news reporter. He's running against Representative Chris Pappas and uh, Matt Mowers. And if you are listening to those names and you're like, who? Well, <laughs> then uh, you can you can understand what what uh, situation the Republicans find themselves in. This is a bummer if you're a Republican. This is ecstatic news if you're a Democrat. Because, again, the Republicans only need to win one seat net. Right now, Pennsylvania looks like a really complicated situation. We'll get into Georgia, Nevada, Colorado, and more Arizona in our in our Friday episode. But this is going to be tough sledding for, for the Republicans. And taking a win off the table when all you needed was one win for sure. Well, that ain't great. Okay. So there's this thing that's happening lately. You know, you had AOC come out the other day and say, you know, the the phrase woke, the phrase woke is now being used as a pejorative. It's only being used by people who don't like the causes that theoretically the, the woke elements of society purport to serve. It has now become politically a liability. So she looks to say, hey, why are we using this catch-all term? To which I would say, I don't know, man. Blame like childish Gambino and DeRay's t-shirts circa seven years ago if you want to blame why people are saying woke. Woke has become a thing. But anyway, all right. So seasons change. No, don't lose, don't use woke anymore. Use the the actual issues that you are that you are talking about. That's what you want to do. And I'm actually in favor of that. I, I, I tend to also think that saying things like, oh, well, this is the woke crowd or the woke position can be a bit, as the kids say, cringe. Not because I, I think that it's a negative thing per se. I just think that now it's kind of been stretched beyond all usefulness. But there's another thing that annoys me. And before we even get into it, let me talk about the person who's at the center of this issue. Paul Gozer. Listeners to this show know Paul Gozer as a representative of Congress from Arizona. He is somebody that is apparently so detestable 
that not one, not two, not three, not four, but five of his own siblings united in a negative campaign ad against him. That campaign ad was unsuccessful because he wound up going back to Congress. Paul Gozer is a conservative edgelord. He is somebody that is prone to tweeting the thing that gets him the attention from the very online right. He was one of the people that was at the forefront of the January 6th stuff. He is surely going to be brought up during the January 6th hearings for meeting with protesters that eventually wound up inside the Capitol. He is, by and large, among the most look-at-me members of Congress that we got. And so, it should come as no surprise that Paul Gozer tweeted out a anime parody that put him at the center of you know as the main character basically why because a lot of the online right are really into anime a lot of people are really into anime but a lot of people on the online right are really into anime and so he's communicating with his base, the very online right. Now, it's not the people that vote for him, but in a world where you can raise small dollar donations from anybody just by being a character on Twitter, this is part of the game. So he tweets this thing out, and, and it's not even really all that good or well done. There's not a whole lot of original animation. It's just sort of like a anime intro song where a lot of the kind of like images that are setting up the story are like migrants coming to the border. Uh, eventually there is an animated sequence where, and I swear to God, dude, it is blinking. You miss it. The Paul Gozer character is running toward a gigantic behemoth of a monster for a, for a split second, you see AOC's face on the monster. This is probably because the person who was making this was doing it for the lulls and didn't want to take the time to actually do this well, so they did it very quickly. And the Paul Gozer character leaps into the air of the gigantic super monster uh, AOC and, and slices it in half with a sword. There's then a bunch more pictures of Donald Trump and Paul Gozer and blah, 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 Joe Biden. And then eventually you see a gigantic and even larger Joe Biden super monster that Paul Gozer's character is leaping to, to attack. And it's that freeze frame that ends the intro. This is stupid. I mean, it's 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 S posting, as they say on the Internet. It's just some stuff to make people chuckle. Is it a physical threat to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Do we wonder that Paul Gozer is is going to Naruto run down the halls of Congress and then brandishing 
his samurai sword slice into the congresswoman from New York? Do we worry that he's going to jump off a building and attack Joe Biden, who has grown three stories since we last saw him? No. It's just some dumb stuff. Now, is it in poor taste? Sure. And if it just ended with somebody saying, hey, it's in poor taste, whatever, weeb. Then I would understand that. But no, this has now become a counter reaction for the Democrats. The, the, the counter reaction is he should be taking taken off whatever leadership positions uh, he's in. This is a death threat toward the president and a member of Congress. Blah, blah, blah. This is like the thing when Trump, you know, posted the meme of him during WrestleMania where he was like clotheslining Vince McMahon. But instead of it being Vince McMahon, it was CNN, you know, over Vince McMahon's head. And it's like, oh, Trump is is instigating violence against journalists. He's instigating clotheslines against journalists. He's not. It's just a meme. <sighs> I, I I honestly think that the more Democrats get worked up about stuff like this, the more it just makes them look so intensely stupid and lame. And I guess it's like, uh, whatever, they're in Congress. What else are they going to do, right? Except yell at each other. But... <sighs> I mean, I guess that's the other thing is that it really just does blow my mind that the that, that Democrats really haven't learned their lesson from Trump. Like, yeah, he's going to do some dumb stuff. Guess what? The, the, the anime parody of Paul Gozer isn't mainstream. The only reason why it's mainstream is if, if it becomes a controversy. So the more you want to make it a controversy, the more mainstream it's going to be. You are making it mainstream. Although on the other hand, if by whatever metrics their their act blue accounts get fat every time they go after some weeb edgelord congressman, then maybe that explains it. Eh, it's just maybe I'm sick. Enough with 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 pretending all the memes are actually death threats. Look, they're not. They're memes. And you should make memes too. Memes are fun. I don't know. I just like memes. I said this to the folks who, who listen to the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. But I, I got a new way that I, I believe I should be talking about this show and you should be talking about this show to your friends. And that is this. Politics, politics, politics is the only crowdsourced national traveling reporter in America. Whenever I go to Tulsa and risk my health so I can cover that disaster of a Trump rally, whenever I go to Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, whenever I go to Georgia for the runoffs, whenever I go to New York City for the mayoral primary, whenever I go 
to Virginia for that governor's race. Oh, I see the same people in all those press pens. I see the same people, and they are from every outlet that you know covers politics. But I don't see another me. I don't see another crowdfunded national traveling reporter. You make that happen. You listening make that happen by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. And for your troubles, oh, baby, you get that politics, polit- or sorry, the, the uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition on Monday, where I break down all the Sunday talk shows. You get the late edition on Thursday. Friends, this is my dream. You make all of this come true. And I got a, a little hint. That $3 club, $3 a week that gets you all that bonus content. Oh, we might have more bonus content coming to you soon. We might have more bonus content. Maybe, dare I say it, for a period of time, that small $3 a week spend could get you. Not forever, but maybe for a little while. Five days worth of content. A piece of content each and every day of the work week. Huh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Maybe some uh, announcements on that coming soon. But for now, takepoliticsseriously.com is where you need to go. $3 gets you... Two bonus episodes per week. Our guest today is no stranger to the show. You can find his writing in Washington Monthly. He is the man that helps us keep track of the tactics in Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Scher. Welcome to the show, Bill. Always good to talk to you. All right. It feels like the most Biden administration possible thing that could happen a, a a once in several decades moment of infrastructure investment for America passes. I think even respectable Friday news dumps happen at some point between six and eight. <laughs> this was into the like midnight hours of, of Friday. Uh, uh, let's, let's first start here. How close to what happened was what you had assumed would happen that Nancy Pelosi would move forward and that Republicans would eventually peel off and make it happen for. Her. Well, I don't want to act like I'm like super duper clairvoyant and I and I called every step of the way exactly as it happened because that's that's not the case. Uh, I think there are a couple of big picture things that I've been saying and you know getting dragged for repeatedly on the internet yeah. that have proven true. Uh the biggest one is that bipartisanship is still possible which yeah. I've been saying for a long time, even though it's a very polarized environment, even though Republicans can, are, can be very malevolent and not, and not, you know, uh, put the, so don't always put, you know, country before party, but that doesn't mean you can't find the common ground at times. And, and, you, but you got to try 
defined it. If you, if if your if your narrative is Republicans are monstrous to the core and will never do anything decent for any reason whatsoever, then you don't try, and then you can't get that kind of win. Uh, and there are plenty of points along the way here when there would be negotiations on the Senate side and there'd be setbacks and you'd see punditry and you'd see a Democratic politician say, pull the plug, waste of time. Yeah. They're never going to do it. Uh, and the people in the room obviously had a different read on the situation and thought there was an opening and they found the opening. And then, and, and like even me, uh, uh, when they, when it kicked to the house, and it was September and Democrats couldn't get over the finish line. And the Republican problem solvers, the more moderate Republicans, were not stepping up. Yeah. Uh, you know, at that point, I was like, I, I can't trust those guys. They, they, they had their moment and they're and they're carrying from the moment. And yet here we are in uh, at the end of uh, top of November. Not only did it pass the House. Republicans were the margin of victory in the House yes. and they were the margin of victory in the Senate as well. Uh, so you you can't I mean, maybe the odds aren't with you, but you can't get that five percent shot panning out unless you try. And they did try. This was so that's one big thing. Yeah, this was bipartisan from stem to stern, right? Like this was Cinema and Portman in, in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Joe Manchin obviously played a large role. Uh, Mitch McConnell wound up voting for it, which is, I think, something that kind of gets forgotten. Championing it. He's been, he's been running a victory lap in the past 24 hours. Yeah. This is great for Kentucky. Um, uh, but the, and- the, one thing, the one thing I would say for the Republican problem solvers is that it never actually came to a vote until it came to a vote on on Friday, right? Because they're the 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 House uh Republican leadership at least according to reports uh from Kevin McCarthy was all right, I'll, I'll cut you loose to vote for it if they uh uh get the votes by themselves. They didn't get the votes by themselves and the problem solvers wound up, you know, jumping leadership no matter what. Some of them. I mean, it wasn't all of them. You know, there's 29 Republican problem Enough. solvers and 13 yeah. did. 13 did. Uh, and they came in. You, they didn't wait till it hit 218 and then jumped on the bandwagon. They were voting for it before it was 218, making clear that Pelosi had the vote so long as the vast majority of Democrats uh, stayed on board. A, a lot of trust was required here on all sides. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've been through a period of mistrust. We were, I mean, we were seeing Democrats mistrust Republicans at the onset. At least a, a, a lot of the progressive Democrats were saying, "Don't yep. bother with them. You, you can't trust them." And then, as that deal began to take shape, you started seeing Democrats mistrust other Democrats. Yes, uh, and I mean, and the whole hostage-taking strategy of the progressives: we're 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 not going to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill until you pass the broader build back better bill. And by holding on to this, we're going to have better leverage over that bill. I mean, that strategy kicked into gear. I mean, it was, it was already articulated in June, really kicked into gear in August. Once the, the Senate bill passed, uh, that strategy did not help anybody. Yeah. That's it, it, except maybe Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who said, I'm not impressed with your hostage taking. I'm still going to cut this build back better bill to a side that makes me comfortable. Uh, and the Democratic numbers sagged, Biden's numbers sagged. Uh, they looked like they were squabbling, looked like they couldn't get their act together. And it wasn't until Pramila Jayapal and the House moderates looked each other in the eye and said, look, if you do the infrastructure bill first, we're going to be there for you on the bigger bill. You're just going to have to take, take my word and trust me on this. And Biden telling Jayapal, 
I'll get you those Senate votes. I know Manchin and some haven't signed the dotted line yet, but I'm going to get you those votes. That and then Pelosi had have the trust that those 13 Republicans were going to show up yeah. because she because she knew that the hardcore squad, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilan Omar, and, and, and a few others, they were not going to come around. And she needed the at least a few Republicans to be the margin of victory. And she and she put it to the floor without having those Republicans go on the record and commit to doing that. She had to, she had to, them to have to tell her privately and she had to believe it that you, you can't get things done without trust. Uh, and to hopefully that the takeaway lesson that people you know get from this, this process. Does this happen if Terry McAuliffe wins in Virginia? Does it happen on Friday? Well, here's one of the things that I'd say I got wrong um, because one thing I got right was early on, Pelosi said some things. She used some very careful language that said to me, this progressive demand for linkage of yes. the two bills, yeah. Pelosi is not 100% on board with. No matter what um, the impression is, I even had Pelosi's spokesperson yeah. Yeah. challenge I'll, me I'll, I'll, on I'll Twitter. Your mentions, yeah. Twice, twice tell me that I was wrong yeah. uh, and, and that the Senate bill had to go first. And I was like, OK, guy, but I'm just looking at what she's saying and that doesn't yeah. square. Um, and she and she made that clear at the end of September where she said, look, hey, things have changed in the Senate. You know, Manchin's not going to do what we want to do. And this highway trust fund deadline is rapidly approaching at the end yeah. of September. We need to extend the, the life of that fund, which the infrastructure bill does or else money is going to dry up for road and transit projects. And I accepted what Pelosi said on face value. That was a real pressure point for action. And it wasn't because not only can you pass a stopgap bill separately to keep that alive, uh, it didn't require new money just yet. There was enough money in the kitty to keep it going at no extra cost. And Republicans were willing to go along, you know, I would have thought, and I did think that Mitch McConnell would say, "Hey, you want the highway trust fund? Pass the gosh darn infrastructure bill that I helped you pass." Yeah, and then yeah. you'll get you don't you don't need our help. Uh, but they threw Democrats a bit of a lifeline and said, "Hey, well, we'll, we'll let you squabble amongst yourselves for another sure. few weeks and keep this thing going." And that happened in September, and it happened in October. And I thought we at the end of October, okay, maybe. Maybe there won't be money in the kitty this time around. And you have Virginia looming. You have yeah. this fear that McAuliffe is going to lose. And maybe Democrats, maybe Biden would say, hey, I don't want to have that on our shoulders. I don't I don't want to risk Democrats going into a you know more fierce circular firing squad after a McAuliffe loss. Let's get this over the finish line ahead of time and try to give that guy a boost. That doesn't happen. No, it's only McAuliffe losing. This is the only thing I can discern from this. McAuliffe losing was the wake up call that made Biden because apparently Pelosi was leaning on Biden. Pelosi wanted to do this before yeah. the, the Virginia election. And Biden was hesitating. And Biden seemed to be very reluctant to win ugly, to twist arms. He wanted to win. They yeah. want everyone to be very kumbaya about it. And took Pelosi saying, look, now is the time. We cannot wait any longer. Uh, and that apparently moved Biden to, to finally call the progressive and say, look, I want you to do this today. I'm sick of losing. I'm sick of my numbers going down mid 40s, possibly below 40, depending on what poll you look at. And that scared everybody straight. I'm going to give you a few more whacks here at this dead horse, but uh, 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 please lay out for everybody listening the absolute failure that the 
linkage hostage taking strategy was for the uh, 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 progressive Democrats in the House uh, uh, now that it has been delinked and they have lost that leverage. Well, I think this is important and, and not it's not important because it makes Bill share right. Like that's hardly that's like the least no, important no, no, thing no, in the no, universe. No, 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 no. Uh, but and it's, you also and it's, were right. So please go ahead. But and it's also not important to be like, moderates are awesome. Progressives suck. Like that's it's it's not about spiking the football and like cheering one faction over another. That's not the point. The point is learning what tactics work, learning the importance of reading power dynamics to develop good strategies. Progressives told themselves that Manchin and Cinema were adversaries who didn't want to do this or want to do it uh, in a very reduced way and needed to be forced to do the right thing, need to be squeezed and publicly pressured and shamed uh, and to take something that they wanted badly and and trade it for what they didn't want to get, get done. Uh, so they take the infrastructure bill hostage uh, at the end of uh, essentially the end of September, officially, when they yeah. didn't pass that bill. Uh, but they, but but even before that point, uh, said that we're not going to do this. And when that first happened, the intended Build Back Better bill was to be $3.5 trillion. And right now, and everything that's happened since the, essentially the relinkage occurred at the end of September, all the negotiation has been, Cutting that bill down, 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 down. The yeah. top line and the White House offer is now half of three point five trillion. It's one point seven five, and they've already jettisoned various chunks of the bill. They've gotten rid of uh, free community college. They've gotten rid of uh, a good chunk of the Medicare expansion, and maybe end up being all the Medicare expansion. Uh, they appear to be getting rid of paid leave for it's a paid leave, although the House tried to tuck it back in. But Manchin has already said no go on that. They got rid of the clean energy payment program, which is supposed to be the centerpiece of the climate portion. Uh, there, there's there's no gain. There's no progressive progressive gain no. that's happened uh, in, in this process. And and I'm hearing a lot of reverse engineering spin from the progressive side. Well, Manchin Simon didn't want this at all. And so the fact that we're, that we're on the verge of getting something. That's is proof that yeah. this tactic worked. And there's there's two reasons why I, I don't accept that. You know, one is that uh, the pro various progressive people have said, you know, AOC said this should be 10 trillion. Bernie said this should be 6 trillion. Jamal Bowman at one point said anything south of 5.4 trillion is unacceptable. Yeah. When they had the 3.5 trillion budget resolution, the, the consistent talking point was, 3.5 trillion is the compromise. Yes. Because we set these higher benchmarks for this is the compromise. Well, if that is the compromise, how is it half of what it was before? Uh, and, uh, and on top of that, because they have told themselves that what Manchester really want is nothing. They want nothing. And we're, and we're forcing them to accept something. All that did was give mansion and cinema more leverage. Yes. Because because when now Manchin said in July in a written statement to Chuck Schumer, it wasn't publicly known at the time, but we know it now. He put on paper, I guarantee I will do one point five trillion with these various uh, conditions. Yeah. So we know it's where he was in July. So when Manchin says to Bernie in October, as was reported by uh, a couple of senators in the room to list Axios, when Manchin tells Bernie, I'm comfortable with zero. Yes. You know. You might have said, 
I don't think that's true because you put on a piece of paper two months ago, three months ago that you're for 1.5. So I don't, I, I don't, I, I call your bluff. Instead, Progressive said, yeah, that's what he really wants. He wants zero. So I'm going to take whatever Manchin gives me because yeah. I believe he, what, he really, really, what he really wants is zero. Manchin's threat to walk was far more credible because Progressives told themselves that he was going to walk. They, they, they told themselves that he was essentially the worst of the worst. This is yeah. just a corporatist. He's got, he owns a coal business. Uh, he has, and, and cinema is a total hack who's in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry. And Hey, maybe things are true to some extent, but you also should have realized, I think that there were things that they wanted out of the bill. These are people that like to deliver things. Yeah. They want to say they did something. Uh, you know, cinema ran in 2018. People, some people like to say, Oh, she's betraying how she, what she ran on. Well, go look at what she did run on. Look at what the ads did say. They said, I'm going to be a bipartisan independent problem solver. Yeah. Uh, she wants to go back to her state and say, I did this for you. I made things happen. I cr- I'm the one who crafted this in a way that was palatable to a broad cross-section of the state. And Manchin's reason of existence has to be, I can do things for you that if you had a Republican in the seat, he wouldn't be able, he or she wouldn't be able to do. Uh, so they have reasons to do stuff. They want to do it on their terms. But I don't think it was, it was plausible that they deep down wanted to kill it. And progressives telling himself that weakened their leverage and gave Manchester Cinema more leverage. I think the other thing that that uh, you you can now look back on and say absolutely backfired is the idea that okay, so the Congressional Progressive Caucus blocks and and takes hostage this infrastructure bill. At that point, mm-hmm. now this is a pressure campaign on Manchin and Cinema specifically. Here's the problem. Joe Manchin, the more you yell at him, the stronger he becomes with his core constituency in West Virginia. He like it, it is it is almost like uh, 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 trying to to be mad at like Turning Point USA by by sending Antifa to their door. Like it would be that it is that level of a self own. That's exactly what he wants is to wave at, at progressive activists from his from his houseboat. It, it benefits him in almost every conceivable political way cinema if you i mean i think you you uh, uh had a a thread that you, that you put out on twitter and i would also recommend there was a great mother jones piece about kirsten cinema uh, a few months ago about where she came from she came from political activism and she very much got sick of the idea that political activism was an infighting circular firing squad that never really got anything done. And so that's very much built up her uh, entire worldview of being a politician and reaching across the aisle to get done what can get done. And, and the thing that you put out on Twitter was her leading a campaign to beat back a, a gay marriage ban by completely omitting gay marriage and by focusing on where that bill overreached and would would uh, strike down other domestic partnerships. She's about the win. She cares not for the pressure because she used to put the pressure on and realized how little it really got her. So the Wait, idea the idea that that was going to be the squeeze to me was always going to be a, a, a failure point. And now it, it, it was. And, and, and the, and Pramila Jayapal and the con- uh, congressional progressive caucus are left on Friday with exactly the same deal that they blew through with the moderates twice, which is a promise, a promise that right. the moderates will vote based on a condition that may or may not be met. 
Yeah, but I do think I think trust is good. I think she should have accepted that word. I think sure. she should get back to trust. Uh, but I just want to clarify one thing. The th- I shared that thread, but I didn't write the thread. No, no, um, no. You shared it. You shared it. Yes. Uh, and uh, and a key part of that thread was not just that she did the kind of pragmatic thing to get that that win, but that she her lesson for her was that it is useful to use the left flank as a foil. It is useful yes. to do the thing that they don't want to be done. She said at one point. If you don't, if you to the actors, you don't like the messages in this ad, that tells me it's a good ad. Yes. So she, 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 she has a fundamental disrespect for the political strategic thinking of the left. And no, there, like, there's and, a legitimate and, and, and argument. I do, I do think if you, if you read that Mother Jones piece, it's because she came from it. Like that, yeah, like yeah, her, right, her, right. her disdain for the activist class is based on her time spent within the activist class. Now, it was not unreasonable, ludicrous to think that cinema is reading Arizona wrong, that it's a bluing state, that it needs robust based turnout. It needs Hispanic vote. It needs Native American vote. And cinema's attempt to be the second incarnation of John McCain and be all mavericky is the wrong political bet to make. And if you show her if you pressure her and you show her that her numbers are dropping, particularly amongst base voters, that she might worry about a primary challenge and change course. I get the surface logic of that strategy, but we see how it works in practice. Uh, people don't like to be told that they're wrong. People don't like to be humiliated publicly. So yeah. even if cinema is totally wrong, her reaction was to double and triple down and insist that things get done the way she believes it should be done. And she's the one with the vote and you're not. So, I mean, that story about the gay marriage um, uh, uh, battle should be, you got to read people's, I mean, it's, it's hard to do obviously from the outside, but you know, you got to read people's, you know, you know, innermost thoughts as best you can. If it's known that she has disrespect for left-wing political strategy. Yeah. Then maybe that kind of tactic wasn't the best kind of tactic to do. Uh, and there, and you're left with now, again, perhaps they were going to call the shots anyway, because they're the 50th vote in the Senate, you know, yeah. one or the other or both. But I would have gone about it from the get go in January. I would have I would have read the situation as, look, these two are 49 and 50 for whatever we want to do in reconciliation. And, and even when I want to get to 60, I'm going to need these people. Let's break bread early let's talk what they what they want and what they don't want and figure out what we can do together that's going to fit within their comfort zone because i'm probably not going to be able to break them i'm not going to squeeze them and humiliate them to get what i want uh and they didn't seem to have come to that uh realization until this week yeah i i still remain of of the opinion that when it comes to cinema if if the worst thing that can happen to me is in a purple state that all that could happen is in many, many years from now, I face a more progressive challenger in a primary uh, of when no matter what the general is going to be competitive because the Republicans will have at least a puncher's chance in Arizona. And I can always run on. Well, if you elect this person, they're definitely going to lose. I'll take that. Uh, 11 out of 11 uh, uh, opportunities. Well, and that's the lesson of Virginia that yeah. you know, Virginia, Virginia is still a bluing state. It is much more blue than it was 20 years ago. The demographic patterns have not changed all of a sudden, Yeah, but it is, but it is not 
solid blue. And there can be circumstances where pendulums still swing in states like that. And Arizona is less blue than Virginia. Cinema is a hell of a lot better position to survive in a state like like Arizona because she can say, I got cinema Portman passed. I got these infrastructure funds to our state. I I was the critical figure. If I wasn't here, maybe this doesn't get done. There's a certain pride sometimes voters take from that, that my senator is is in the thick of things. Now, that can always can, can backfire on you sometimes, depending on what gets produced. But that's the bet that, that she has made. And that bet looks a whole lot better after the way Virginia has just gone. So let's talk about the state of of the Build Back Better bill. Uh, uh, the one thing I would argue for uh, in, in the voice of the progressives is that I do think that no matter what, we were going to end up here. So if if, if the the point for them was either we fight and see whether or not something else can fall out of the tree or we just capitulate and this six trillion dollar dream, 10 trillion dollar dream gets whittled down to one point five. Anyway, it's it's worth it to put up the fight if we have the ability to. But now we're here. We have uh, uh, Joe Manchin, who seems ever uh, reluctant to move this along at any kind of expedient pace uh do you believe that the build back better bill gets passed and if so when i think it's passed i think it's passed uh probably by december 3rd uh which is the uh pinch point for keeping the government open and perhaps getting the debt ceiling raised they might have to do the debt ceiling through reconciliation uh so that's why i think build back better and debt ceiling are going to be on the same track uh okay there's a bit of a concern that because of the infrastructure bill, there's a general fund transfer of money out of the general fund into the highway trust fund. If it's out of the general fund, that gets you closer to hitting the debt ceiling. And so yeah. you might have to raise the debt ceiling earlier than December 3rd, although there's some legal argument that maybe that's not true. They, I think the lawyers are trying to sort that out in the White House. Uh, but I, I, I think Democrats are resigned to raising the debt limit through reconciliation, not expecting Republican votes for it. And therefore, they got to get their ducks on the row of the rest of the bill by then. Uh, and I think Manchin and Cinema uh, recognize that, you know, one, they, they're doers. They want to do things. They want to say that they're the ones that got it done. And I think the vast majority of, of, of Democrats, progressive and moderate, realize they rise and fall together. Uh, if, if 2020 yeah. is going to be a disastrous midterm, you know, it's the moderates that get the brunt of it first. Uh, yeah. So they're not, they don't have a great incentive to kneecap Biden and humiliate him. Uh, even in the name of great centrism, if the progressive base is totally deflated because they got bupkis, you know, you even the most moderate Democrat in a swing district needs the base vote to show up. Uh, yes. So they can't be completely dismissive and disregarding of their feelings. Uh, so I think everybody gets that. And I think, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're a few yards from the goal line at this point. And I think they're going to get there. Now, what will be there when they get there, I think is, <laughs> is the larger question because we have seen one by one, many of the center points that when let's say Bernie Sanders, who to me puzzlingly was the, the, the lead cheerleader for this for, for much of the summer and into the fall, uh, uh, all the things that he was talking about on why this was an important bill seems to have fallen out one by one by one. So is this at the end of it going to be something that progressives will jump up and down for? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Progressives are historically speaking, at least recent history, 
not inclined to clap at the compromise. They're mm-hmm. more inclined to grouse. Uh, and you know, right now, you know, Jayapal is being a cheerleader. Jayapal has now is being a champion for compromise. Yes. Uh, and she got a fair amount of credit from progressives for the way she handled things up until this point. So we'll see if she has enough stature to keep that going. I saw AOC had a message for her constituents where, you know, she, she voted no on the infrastructure bill. Yep. And but she, she was expressing some hope that even without the lost leverage, they would still get a build back better bill that would be acceptable to them. And in, in that in that email that she sent around, she praised the current plan for $550 billion for climate. And she could have very easily poo-pooed that and say that it's not enough, that it's, it's, yeah. it's far short of a full-blown Green New Deal. It's not enough to f- fully ensure we avert you know, planetary calamity. But she was still talking it up. Uh, so that gives me a, a bit of optimism that progressives are going to, and I think because they have told themselves the alternative was getting nothing, they're more willing to accept something and praise something. So you think November? You 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 think you think that this is this is on the same track as 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 the government funding stuff and the debt and the debt ceiling. Most importantly, uh, yeah, which yeah, yeah. which presumably is December third, maybe gets bumped up a little bit, um, but in in that in that area. Ah oh, man, I, I you, you, you got, you got money riding on this. Do you need to know exactly what the date is so you no, can uh, get no, a good no, payoff? No, no, no. I, I do have a beer. I do have a beer writing on it. My my, my friend uh, Jen Briney of the Congressional Dish Podcast was very much uh, of the belief uh, as as the progressives had had uh, a message that with no leverage that means that there's no deal on on BBB. And I was like, no, I, I still think that BBB is too big to fail. Uh, uh, now what? BBB is, is it more salt cuts than Green New Deal by the time that it actually becomes law? That, I think, remains an open question, and that is something that I think progressives might be upset about by the end of it, but I do think it passes. I do agree with you. They're there to use the cross, but I I think this past weekend, Democrats have not had a good day. There's not been a good headline day for Biden the Democrats since the pullout of Afghanistan in early August. It's been three yeah. months, you know, politically dry in a political desert, and they have suffered from it. The, their numbers have suffered by having this lack of forward momentum. And, you know, obviously, you know, COVID and frustrations with continuing mask mandates and whatnot are, are, are part of that. Uh, but it's all but it's all intertwined. If there isn't a feeling that you're working on it and getting things done and moving the ball forward, people start wondering what the hell are you in there for? Uh, so my guess is Democrats like the feeling of winning. <laughs> Like yes. the feeling of getting a bill passed, I don't think they're eager to have another round of circular firing squad by by killing this thing. There's also the fact that there's a ticking clock, right? Like we're now a year away from midterms. Historically, uh, not a lot of big legislative movement happens past well like now, you know, they're, 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 we are we are in the waning days of, of 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 wheeling and dealing like I get the sense that if something doesn't pass by the end of the year, it's only going to get exponentially tougher every hour from that. Well, there's another deadline, which is that the the enhanced child tax credit and the enhanced affordable care subsidies, which were in the American Rescue Plan at the front of the year, yeah. they expire at the end of December. So these extra checks that you get for your kids 
uh, they get cut off without a new bill. Uh, and so that's I think that is another deadline that Democrats are very cognizant of. Now, what's your other point? It's arguably a little dangerous to have nothing going forward for the entirety of 2022. Yeah. Um, if this is the last, I mean, granted, if you pass American Rescue Plan, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act and Build Back Better, you know, that's a, that's a term. You know, that there's a lot of stuff yeah. with those things. Yeah. You can pat, you can rightly pat yourself on the back for, but it's still tough, I think, to go through a whole 11 month period with doing nothing else legislatively. Uh, and I am curious to see if Republicans recalibrate here, if Republicans take away some lessons from Virginia and from the passage of the, of the infrastructure bill. Do the 13 vote yes look good in their home districts for doing that? Do other Republicans say, you know what, we can, uh, what Republicans did, what did they, did they not do in September and October? They did not do a government shutdown when they could have. Yeah. They did not do a highway trust fund shutdown when they could have. They kept things kind of chill so Yunkin could not be a Trumper. I mean, the last time Terry McAuliffe won Virginia, Eight years ago in 2013, you know, he wasn't a great candidate back then. He was still a used yeah. car salesman, DNC hack Terry McAuliffe, and he couldn't even get 50 percent of the vote. But he won because Republicans had just done the most idiotic, ludicrous government shutdown in history, trying to squeeze Obama to defund Obamacare. Talk about misreading your, your adversary. Yeah. He's not going to defund a signature achievement. They look like idiots. Their numbers tanked. They caved. Less than a month before the Virginia election, and McAuliffe ekes it out. Republicans did not make that mistake this time around. They did not play the shutdown card this time around. So do some Republicans say, you know what, we can we can work together on some things. And you know what, it's going to be a good midterm for us anyway, because it's almost always a good midterm for the out party. So why not risk fate? Why not give why not? Why should we give Democrats reason to make us the bad guy? We can throw them a couple of bones and we're still going to win our seats anyway. Uh, I, I'm not predicting this by any stretch, uh, no. but yeah. Republicans should look at Virginia and say, you know what? Democrats, they got rid of voter ID. They enhanced early voting. Uh, they uh, made it generally they, they, they enfranchised almost 300,000 ex-felons. And we won. We yeah. won in that state. Uh, they they controlled all the election apparatus. They were the secretary of state. They didn't rig the election for them. They made it easier to vote. And we we juiced our base and we flipped from swing voters and we won. There's yeah. no reason to believe that the Democrats proposals for voting rights is designed to help Democrats over Republicans. I mean, they make they want to negotiate and still narrow things down to some degree. But I think there's a real opening there for a bipartisan bill, because I mean, this is the way Republicans should think about it. When you make it easier to vote, you can capitalize on political pendulum swings a lot easier because your low propensity voters can come out more easily. The winds are in their corner, baby. This is a Republican yeah. year brewing. This is a red wave brewing. Make it easier for your people to vote and you might extend your gains. Well, that is going to so be an interesting the, question, an interesting question specifically as you have uh, all these midterms coming out and and a looming force in the Republican Party that uh, all only wants to talk about election security in uh, uh, the, the, the Mar-a-Lago constituency. The question, do people step, does Joe Manchin, because right, talking about you know, what Manchin do right or, or wrong here. Yeah. The infrastructure bill came together because Manchin and Cinema and Republicans wrote the bill together. That's yeah. how bipartisan things happen. Voting rights, 
Manchin has been working with Democrats, with the commerce with them, and then handing it to Republicans saying, would you guys be for this? Well, of course the answer is no, because they weren't in the room. I think Manchin could start over using Virginia as a data point. Say, look, we can do this in a way that's not going to hurt you, could well help you and make you look like more palatable to, to swing voters. Uh, and, and look, and, and I have still reason to want to do this because we have base voters that want to do it too. We can serve our, we have mutual interest here. Uh, and so let's go forward together as we do with infrastructure. But someone's got to step up and be a leader there. And that, and that has not happened on, on uh, voting rights yet. And it hasn't happened on immigration. And it hasn't happened on climate. Things where I think there actually are potential openings, but, but we haven't seen the leadership. So I'm hardly projecting it because I haven't <laughs> seen the, the motion there. But I think the openings exist if people try. Bill Share, writer, Washington Monthly. Uh, uh, what do you have coming up? Um, I am working on a piece for the Washington Monthly about trust, uh, going through where the where the mistrust was stated publicly and did not serve interest, and when trust materialized, everyone how everyone benefited. And so, hopefully, that might help folks, you know, take some good lessons away from this process. Well, I know whenever that we talk metaphorically, my my arms are open, my eyes are closed, and I am trust falling into the waiting arms of Bill Share. Thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure. Same here. Take care. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to Bill Share for sharing his expertise, you can do so by heading on over to px3guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Love responding to everybody who sends an email. If you would like to follow the show on Twitter, it is px3tweets. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it is px3live. And you can share this podcast with friends, family, and anyone else at px3podcast.com. With the holiday season approaching, there's only one place where you can get politics, politics, politics merch for you and yours, and that is at politicsmerch.com. If you want to support the show with a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. On Venmo, you can find out whether or not Venmo cash is real. I contend that it still is an open question and we should teach the controversy. So if let's say you head on over and you're a, uh, let's say a Douglas who said, I just checked my bank account and it's now down $2. This must be real money. Uh, yes. And Douglas uh, who, who sent it to my Venmo, Justin dash young dash 20. How are you getting that your bank account number is real? Makes you think, IMO. Continue with this scientific rigor and send a dollar to Justin-Young-20 on Venmo. On Cash App, it's PX3Cash, and you can send me checks, gifts, or anything else in the mail physically to P.O. Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. 
You can only get bonus content of this show at our Patreon, and that is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on a free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arslanian, DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dequince, Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Edmund Blurbus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or Spy. D, really? And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers. Double K Ranch, Pop Gold, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John Snuffies off Route 44, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle Age Mike, The Gen, Will, J Pink, and Andrew, if you would like to join their ranks, only one place to do it. Take politics seriously at gmail.com. Guys, uh, that's a wrap for today. So uh, on Friday, we are going to have Evan Scrimshaw. I, I often call him Eric by accident. It's not Eric Scrimshaw. It's Evan Scrimshaw. Uh, columnist for the lines, political better extraordinaire. He's got to eat a little crow on Virginia. He was very chesty about Virginia, about how McAuliffe was going to win. So we go over where he was wrong there, how he is reassessing his global effing realignment strategy, and do some breaking down. Is there value early in the midterm season? On uh, uh, early in the midterm season on, on, on betting. I mean, spoiler alert, apparently all of the candidates that were put into toss up races by crystal ball, all the Democrats that currently hold the seats, these are incumbents in Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. They're all underdogs in the betting market. If I were, I don't know. If I were somebody who liked to bet on politics, I, I might take those three as underdogs. Because you got to figure at least two out of the three of them are going to win. And just be smart. I don't know. All right. Uh, that'll about wrap it up for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>
Dog and Pony Show Audio.